Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 779 with Keith Paul. Easy example is all of our vendors that come in, we, we always offer them something to drink. Even the Postmates guys, who everybody has complained about third-party delivery guys, you know, we'll offer them something to drink. So it's just that little stuff. We, we don't take advantage of deliveries and just attention that they're giving us. We, we're thankful for that. I don't know. We don't ask for, for something we don't think we deserve. We, just, we treat them like we want to be treated. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one sink and surface cleaner sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness. To learn more, visit ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today. We're talking to one of Oklahoma City's OG restaurateurs, the president of a good egg dining group. And uh, I really love today's, today's episode. Um, I think this is the first time I ever spoke with somebody who got their start in the restaurant industry as a sales rep- representative for a food distributor. That That's how Keith got his start in the restaurant biz, uh, selling for Benny Keith food distributors. And uh, I think it's a really interesting way to kind of get your feet wet in the industry. Um, the amount of networking you're doing as a food distributor, the lessons, the invaluable lessons you're learning about sourcing. And I think just that, if you can do that well, that can affect your bottom line. I think that's one of the, the skills that most restaurateurs learn as they evolve into the life of a restaurateur. They usually don't come into the industry with those skills. And I'm really curious whether or not that that contributed to his success. But uh, again, Keith Paul, the president of a good egg dining group, uh, started off with Cheevers back in 2000. And they have since scaled to I don't know how many total locations, but as of 2021, the total concepts that they have within that dining group consists of Cheevers, Iron State, Red Prime Steak, Republic Gastropub, Tucker's Onion Burgers, Kitchen number 324, the Drake Barrios and uh, Mexican Radio. So lots of, I think it's total of nine concepts. Uh, how many total locations I lost track of? Honestly, I know they have a few um, of those concepts that have multiple locations. And uh, r- it's a really great episode. I love the emphasis that Keith puts on relationships in today's episode, but I don't want to give too much away. So with no further ado, here it is. Keith Paul, a good egg dining group. I hope you guys enjoy it. 
With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest. He's the co-founder and president of a Good Egg Dining Group. Keith Paul, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Uh, I am, man. I'm, I'm ready to do this. Dude, I'm feeling unstoppable. So many people have been saying such great things about you, and that's one of the cool things about being able to, to come into a town and just land and let people recommend and refer I think you're batting like three for four right now for like referrals. So like you've done something <laughs> as far as developing a, a reputation for yourself in, the, in this uh, community. I just want you to know that this is going to be a good interview. No pressure. All right, let's, <laughs> let's do it. So I have to start every interview off with a success quote or mantra to get that motivational ball rolling. What do you got for us? All right. I'm not big on, on uh, you know, I like to read. I like to listen to podcasts, this and that, you know, audio books and things. And, you know, the, the quote that, really has stuck out to me over the last uh, two years is actually from William Shakespeare. Um, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Yes, dude. I love that. Uh, why does that resonate with you? Like how, what, what does translate that into your words? Well, you know, as I'm, I'm getting a little older now and I don't, I'm not, I don't know if I'm getting wiser, but I've made a lot of mistakes and you know, I just feel like that over the years that what I'm good at is um, people. Mm. So, and that's what I want to be good at. And that's what I really enjoy is interacting with people, being curious, what drives people. Um, and so that's just, you know, when, it, when it, are you going to start a podcast? Then? It's just, a, <laughs> it's just a day to day thing now. Yeah. Um, and I think that helping people, whether it's through a, a personal crisis or a career move is, you know, sometimes you have to accept the fact that someone's just not, um, tailor made for our organization, but, or our industry as a restaurant industry, hospitality industry, but moving on to something else is just better for them. And you need to accept that and, and wish them well. And that's just how that how that works. I love that. And that's come up, uh, in the past, uh, in past episodes. When you do find somebody who's a good person, they just don't, maybe they're not in the right lane, right? Maybe the, the hospitality industry is not for them. How do you let them know? Well, there's just, uh, I don't know. I call these curious conversations. They just need to go on and on. And, and really I have more of these with my managers than I do with, uh, frontline staff. And that's just with four to 500 employees. It's just hard, but, you know, if, if someone comes to me and, and says, I just don't know if I want to do this anymore, then let's let's just talk about it. And it might be best for them to go test the waters elsewhere, and we wish them the best. And so many times with the hospitality industry and restaurant and just hearing that the, the hectic, you know, um, ticket printer in the kitchen, they miss that, mm. and they, they come back. Yeah. And so, and they come back better than they were when they, before they left. And it, sometimes it's hard if, if you do identify somebody who, you know, isn't made for this industry, and, but they are a good person. It's hard to say, you know, it's hard to fire somebody, you know, but if, if, what, are you doing them any favors by keeping them on this track if they're not going to be successful? And I think it's your goal to, to be like, Hey, like you're not cut out for this, but we have known this. Like these things are really, you are really great at these things. Have you ever thought about doing this? And like, it's our responsibility as owners, as mentors to put people in the right seat. Right. And to, exactly. to give them that guidance. Yeah. You know, firing was, um, you know, being in, I got a college in 90 or 91 and no one ever wanted to get fired and still no one wants to get yeah. fired or no one wants to fire people because it's like, do you fire someone on a Monday or a Friday, <laughs> right? There's, yeah. there's these rules that someone made up, but 
it does not have to be a negative experience because, hey, what we're doing is we're giving you the opportunity to pursue, you know, your passion. Yeah. What's your passion? It's all about perspective, man. I yeah. love this. Yeah. Um, so in my research, I, I saw that you maybe wanted to be a football coach when you were younger and then you got I did a little bit of digging. I tried to get a, an idea. Um, when, like, where does it make sense to start telling your story? When did you know like this was going to be your path or what were you doing to set yourself up to be successful in this industry? I guess when I, um, didn't become a football coach, <laughs> you know, I grew up, my dad played professional baseball. So, um, he played with the Mets in the, in the late sixties okay. and in their farm system. And then he threw batting practice for the Rangers when I was in elementary school. So my, um, afternoons and evenings sometimes were, were consist of going out to the Ranger ballpark and shagging balls. Okay. So that was just awesome. So I was around athletics forever. Um, so the, you know, the coaching thing was, a was something that I wanted to do in high school if, if, you know, if college football or professional sports didn't work out at that age. But, um, my father was also in the food business okay. and just through connections, I went to work for, uh, Benny Keith foods in Fort Worth, which is a regional broadline distributor. Um, I was with them probably, I think five years in Fort Worth. And then I moved to Oklahoma city and worked for them, uh, five years up here. And that's where I met Heather was, we were both working for Benny Keith. So you got into that around early nineties, 91, 92 into the sales. Yeah. About 91, right when I got out of school and moved up here, uh, January of 96. Okay. And so, and then we opened our first restaurant in April of 2000. So this is a really interesting path into the industry. I don't speak to a lot of restaurateurs that were selling food first. Um, do you, do you think that kind of sets you up for success? Like, I mean, totally. that's definitely a part of this industry for sure. Yeah. And, and everyone says, man, you kind of went the different path here. Yeah. You went, you went the opposite direction. A lot of people get in their restaurant <laughs> yeah. business, you know, in college and then they say, okay, that's just the next thing you do. I'm going to wait tables. I'm going to be a front of house manager or, or, you know, whatever that is. But I, I've worked in one restaurant before we bought Cheever's Cafe, and I think I ended up getting fired from that restaurant. Um, what was that? That was a pizza place that, and I, I was kind of a more more of a delivery guy than anything okay. else, you know. And I don't know. I had some friends come in from town, and I had a, I just went and made a delivery and just kind of. I delivered went pizza for a while. I know it's really hard to get fired as a I mean, pizza delivery guy. That was before cell phones and everything else, but you know, I knew that everyone was going to this party, and I just had to be there. And so I, that was the. That Did was you the, at least bring pizza? That was the end of my career. No, <laughs> hell no, I didn't bring pizza. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. Um, so get into how working for Benny uh, Benny Keith uh, helped set you up for success. What were the the most important lessons you learned from that angle, coming at it from this angle? Well, besides the, the mechanical things of, you know, um, products and, and inventory and menu writing and all that, everything like that was, when I started with Benny Keith, we were basically just sales, salespeople. And the salesperson at that point in the early 90s was, um, this is the price of lettuce and this is what you can use, you know, lettuce for or IQF chicken and all these different, you know, newer products were coming out. By the time I got out of the business, it was more of a, we were more of consultants to restaurants. We were um, trained in menu engineering, um, labor costs, food cost, how to, how to trim this, how to trim that, how to, you know, uh, create efficiencies in the restaurant. Um, and then talking to restaurateurs about that, it, it was a tough go. 
Um, you know, you're talking to someone who is where I was in 2000 was life savings kind of, Hey, this is, I got to make this work. And you have this younger kid coming in and trying to tell you how to do things. Whose only experience is getting fired from a pizza place. That's it. That's it. it. Uh, Uh, So, I mean, I I think you're bringing up a really interesting point and something that I don't think restaurateurs do often enough is leverage their food delivery services. Like the expert, like, like they're a great resource for a lot of reasons. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, and ever since then, we've, of course, we buy everything from Benny Keith Foods. Okay. And, you know, it's there's a lot of trust there, and you should be able to trust where you're spending really yeah. most of your dollars besides labor is going toward your goods, your, your groceries. So um, with me doing that first, I don't... I know what cases look like, and I'm and I'm not even in the kitchen anymore. I can walk through there and do an inventory pretty quick. I know what what uh, if a chef recommends a product to me to use in the kitchen. I know the the ups and downs, the advantages, disadvantages of that product. Um, I don't have to check pricing, um, but that's that's all about relationships, which we have as a company with all of our vendors. Um, but I would say the biggest thing I learned from Benny Keith was not even on that, the technical side of running a restaurant, it was just how they treated people. Mm. They're, they're still a family owned company. You know, I don't know what the, when I left the sales were uh, uh, close to a billion dollars a year. Um, but everybody makes mistakes, but, um, I just saw how they just treated people on a day to day basis. Is there a specific example, like a, a time where they just went above and beyond do the right thing by, by someone that comes to your mind that you can share for us, kind of paint that picture of what it means to be a good person? Well, just being courteous. Mm. It's just the simple things. And we try to teach that in our restaurants. Um, you know, there's a restaurant group out there um, that um, we really benchmark, um, Hillstone Restaurant Group. And there's not any units here, but they're, they're, they're based in LA and they have units in Dallas and Nashville, New Orleans, wherever, all over the country do 500 million in sales. But when I take my managers to these stores, I ask them to get up and go to the restroom twice as much, many times as you want to. And I will bet you anything that a server will always give you the right away. Mm. Just be courteous. And it's amazing that I, I would say a hundred times that that's, I've never been wrong. Yeah. So you learned a lot of the the operational uh, things, like you said, the product, the inventory management, and the menu development. You also, I would imagine, were pretty plugged into the trends. Like you going into your first restaurant, you probably had a really good idea of what the market wanted. Was that an For assumption? Sure. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, back then in the in the late nineties, or we were traveling a little bit. And whenever we traveled, we already started that in in ninety six, ninety seven of our travel was built around, let's go to these restaurants. You know, we, we, we couldn't search them online, but mm-hmm. we knew that Dallas had, you know, Star Canyon or, or whatever it was. And just seeing those restaurants and those trends and then being in, you know, some, some of the, really all the, all the best restaurants in town were some of my accounts and they're yeah. still around. But I just knew that there was something missing and that's that's where Achievers came about. Okay, um, so I think it's also worth mentioning. Um, you found your business partner, your life partner, working at Benny Keys, right? Correct. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into like, I mean, what was it about? And still is about your relationship that 
has been right as far as partnerships go? God, <laughs> man, we struggle with that on it. It's, it's a daily yeah. conversation, but you know, with my really lack of restaurant experience, um, she came from, her mother was a silent partner in a couple of restaurants okay. and, and owned her own little burger shop in a smaller town. And, um, so toward the end, the, the end of our careers at Benny Keith, we sold as a team. So my, my strength was just going to pick up new business and her strength was, um, menu engineering and just sourcing product for that, that customer. So we, we knew our role, uh, there. And I think that two years that we worked together doing that really set us up for, you know, call it the next 20, um, that, uh, that we've spent here at Good Egg Dining. Um, so she, we do, we do overlap quite a bit, but, um, all restaurant design she handles, um, all menu engineering she handles, menu development is a team effort between she and I, we write all the menus and then we hand it over to our chefs and culinary directors and they execute those menus. Okay. So, um, we still are very, very plugged in as far as trends and, and I guess we know what, if an item tastes good. But not just to us. Like she hates mustard, hates seafood, <laughs> hates mayonnaise. But some of the best menu items that we have that have been on Cheever's menu for 20 years that she came up with just in our house. Oh, so that's great. it's been fun. But there's those challenges are, man, they're tough. I mean, what, listening to you talk, I'm thinking you mentioned biz development uh, or biz dev uh, was your strength. Uh, I can only imagine that is something that and maybe this is something we shelf for later later because you're always creating new opportunities, like whether it's catering or like whatever, you always have to drum up new business, like verticals of business. Is that something that you do to this day still? Well, you know, I, after throughout the years, it's, it's, I spend less time now trying to figure out what can drive revenue. What, what's that silver bullet? Because that always enters my mind. I think it enters every entrepreneur's mind to say, what can we do to drive business? Is it an ad here? Is it a promotion here? And I just, we always go back to, let's don't spend our money on that and time. Let's spend our money and time on developing our people. Mm. And let's just do the slow growth. Because if we look at the success of Cheevers and Ironstar and Red and some of our older restaurants, it started off really I mean, drastically just slow, 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 and it just built. Mm-hmm. And so we financially, we're always in a good spot, not over leveraged. So that's, that's kind of the goal. We're not here to, to, you know, win the race. It's not a sprint. And so I don't need to make a bunch of money today, especially during this pandemic. My goal here is to create the best team that we can have when this is over to come out of this thing stronger than everybody else. I love that. And, um, I'm sure that's gonna, more of that's going to come as we go into the interview. Uh, I would also imagine too, if I'm in your shoes, if I have all these, these relationships with successful restaurants and I'm opening a restaurant, you better dang believe I'm, I'm reaching out to my network of people and being like, I'm opening a restaurant. I have questions. Can you help? Did that happen? When we first, when we were opening in the beginning? first restaurant, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a guy named Fred Langford who was uh, the general manager of Sushi Neko. Okay. And he and Heather, my wife, had a relationship because they worked at a restaurant together um, ten years before that. Um, and he just basically handed us all of his um, 
employee material, nice. handbooks and everything. Because back then you couldn't access a handbook yeah. online. I don't know where you'd get it. Now so, it's restaurantowner.com, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been a member of restaurantowner.com for 20 years now. Yeah, but so, that didn't exist when you guys were getting started. I don't think. Or maybe they were maybe, just started. Maybe about two or three years yeah. after we got started. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, the restaurant community here is – there's – most of most everybody is really genuine and wants to help each other, even though there's that strong competition. But it's a friendly competition. Exactly. And, and I it's think, fun. And I picked up on that from being here because when I go into a city, part of my, my job is to get referrals and find out who to talk to. And every once in a while, and it's usually in markets about this size, there's such a, 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 a tight bond between the restaurant tours and their competition, but they also do a lot of respect. They have a lot of respect for each other, but it's always the restaurant tours that are talking to each other and sharing knowledge and supporting each other. They're always at the top, right? And there's definitely got to be a correlation there. You know, like, there's, like, what does that say to you? Well, that's, that just goes back to my, my mantra that, or my, my quote I gave you earlier is you just need to approach everything with, you know, an open heart and just, be kind mm. because you know you can be an asshole all day long and you might you might you know start out ahead but it it's a house of cards yeah now you i know, know you've helped a lot of people yourself weren't you, you I mean I, i'm pretty sure it was jeff uh dixon that said that you, you were right there always offering advice you know like you have i mean why not like all ships rise to the tide right yeah if you make him better he's gonna make you better right right that's just how it goes and i think that's any business but that's that's how the restaurant community here has has evolved over the years. It, you know, if I had to open up my first restaurant today, I, I would I would still do it, but it would be a lot harder. Um, there's so much competition. Um, people are really smart, really creative, and we're attracting. You know, people aren't leaving town to go work for larger groups in Chicago or LA or Dallas, they're, they're staying here and doing their own thing, which is cool. Yeah. And I think that's happening everywhere right now. And I think that there's actually more opportunity in the smaller cities because why would you go to a New York city and compete with Danny Meyer? You know, right. <laughs> like when you could take, where you maybe go work there or study the, those things, but you have, you have a better opportunity of being number one in a smaller market, you know? Right. Right. Like, there's some downsides of that too. I mean, you, you see guys my age that are you know, out in Arizona, they're selling their group for $350 million, but there's, there's right place, right time kind of thing. Um, you know, being Oklahoma city doesn't have the weather that Arizona has, you know, so we're, we're not patio, you know, what every day of the year. Um, Dallas is just an ultra competitive, you know, call it from a, from a chicken fast food to fine dining. That's just kind of the restaurant Mecca is what I say. It, they might not have the the best food. People always go to New York, San Francisco, or you know, even Houston is huge. But I would say that this Oklahoma City just worked out great for from where I was in my life and and um, watching it grow. You know, being from Fort Worth, I would say Oklahoma City is about ten years behind Fort Worth, which is fine with me. Yeah, I mean, I, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Like when you started in two thousand two thousand three, was it when you opened your first two thousand two thousand? I mean. Oklahoma city wasn't the same city as it is today. I feel like, Oh gosh, <laughs> I had a ton of friends that went to OU. Yeah. And so when I, when I told them I was, see, when I came up here, I was supposed to move to Tulsa and they're like, God, great, man. You're, you're, you need to go to Tulsa. You never need to go to the city. It's just, there's nothing in the city. 
And when I came up here to, um, for my last interview or whatever, they said, okay, change of plans. You're in Oklahoma city now. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh God, I hope I can handle this. And so, but you know, it all worked out. It worked out great. I have no, no regrets at all. But I mean, I feel like you were just set up. I mean, it, sometimes it's just like, I think the luck of the draw, but like you get in, you get in before the market starts to explode, you know, and like you can, you know where I'm going with this? Like, what oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah we, when we got in, in 2000, um, you know, we dealt with nine 11, you know, and that was, that was awful for, mm. for any, any business, any independent restaurant. I sat at the bar at Cheever's, you know, we, I guess that was in 2001. Yeah. And so and you probably said to yourself, it's not one person came in, <laughs> not one person came in. So oh, it was, it was awful. But as we, you know, kind of grew that business and really understood the restaurant business and where it was, where Cheever's was going. And at that time, um, I was, I was the chef at Cheever's and working, you know, I don't know, 70, 80 hours a week. But we knew that Cheever's was just going to be our only restaurant at that time. And we were going to make Cheever's the best restaurant we could make it. Um, and people would say, when's the next one coming? I'm like, there's no next one, you know, <laughs> but then there was a next yeah. one. And then it's like, well, when are you going to get out of the kitchen and start to, you know, um, run the business. And I'm, I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. I, I want to, that's definitely going to come. Um, I want to go back. You mentioned this, this, this gentleman who gave you all these, these assets, these resources, the foundation, your systems, your processes. Um, what were some of the biggest lessons he taught you before opening? And then I want to, we'll take a break to thank our sponsors after that. And we'll get into the actual, like the first year of what it was like as a first time restaurant tour. But what were some of the biggest lessons? What was his name again? Fred Langford. What were the biggest lessons he taught you? Or was there, was there anybody else like Fred that was there for you, coaching you, giving you advice? Yeah, there was a couple. Um, you know, the general manager at Benny Keith um, and my boss at the time at Benny Keith Foods, David Warner. I tell you what, the most of the advice was don't do it. <laughs> that's the that's my number one goal with this podcast. Yeah, do I not hope do I it. talk more people out of it than help people become successful. Yeah, like, if I can do that. Mission complete. <laughs> yeah, I remember, yeah, most people said, well, you're just buying yourself a job. Yeah. <laughs> and so we didn't have a lot of cash. Why didn't I mean, you listen? It just wasn't the right thing to do. We just felt, you know, a burning sensation that, yeah. hey, we got to do this. We, we know we can do it. And it was, it was tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, I mean, it ended up being, uh, you know, a lot of years of therapy afterwards, you know, a lot of lifestyle changes. So, um, but as far as before the restaurant, we wrote a business plan for the bank and we looked back at that business plan. We found it, um, I guess 17 years later. And I cannot believe that anybody would even give us a meeting with that business plan. <laughs> it might've had 10, 10 items on an income statement. Oh man. So yeah, looking at that business plan, knowing what you know now about business plans, what would you, what was that plan missing? Um, it was missing, the the story more and more financial information for a bank than than it had one thing it did have what it had it had a lot of soul to it mm -hmm. it had you could tell we could tell by reading it that we really had the passion for Cheever's Cafe and that's as long as we have that passion then for a concept for a business for our people then we think anything's possible so you said it was missing a story and it was missing a financial plan the financial plan was a 20 item or 15 item, um, income statement that I don't know where we even got the numbers. <laughs> I mean, if I had to, 
if, if I had to follow that business plan right now financially, I think the sales we were projecting were maybe 60,000 a month, um, you know, 15,000 a week. And right now, if we can't make, we can't make that work anywhere right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, what else did you learn? If anything, I'm really trying to pull back the layers here. Well, the, uh, from early on with, from those guys, it was really the, the human resource piece mm. of, you have to have, um, you know, you have to have boundaries, you have to have guidelines and people need to follow those guidelines and boundaries and they need to be held accountable. Um, but one thing I did learn that I noticed that I had an advantage of most people that were in this business was I, Heather and I both worked for a larger company with Benny Keith. Mm -hmm. So we knew, um, how to treat people. We knew what made people tick and what made them want to stay with us. Um, because some, the other restaurants at that time, like you said, I, I went, I went a different direction, a different sequence of, of, you know, starting off working for Benny Keith out of college and then restaurant. Most people restaurant then go work for somebody else, a liquor rep or food rep or whatever. But, um, having that training just, I would call it kind of corporate training. Yeah. Definitely helped. Yeah. All right. Now's a good time to take our first break. Thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back uh, to kind of dive into how you actually executed the first year and like what that was like. Who wants to be more efficient and cleaner? Everyone. So streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness and also kills SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19 in 15 seconds, and norovirus, the flu, and common cold viruses in 30 seconds, helping you reduce risk, simplify your procedures, and help protect your team, your guests, and your reputation with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Visit ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. All right, we're back, and um, let, let's get into it now. I'm, I'm curious. So when you're opening, was this self-financed? Uh, it was financed through my for Heather's mother and my father and my parents. Okay. Um, and you guys, I'm assuming you're, you're making decent money in sales. It, sound like you, it sounds like the two of you were together were kind of like a dynamite team. So were you putting money away? Like what, was, what were you guys financially doing to set yourself up? So at that time, um, when Heather left and went to run Cheevers, um, I, I stayed at Benny Keith two more years. Okay. And when I got my paycheck every month, I would pay our mortgage payment and utilities, and I would keep $500 in the bank and everything else would go to the restaurant. Okay. And that went on for, I don't know, two years or so. There's we, a couple we, lessons. We ran right out of money fast. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple lessons right there. Like pay yourself first, right? You got to take care of yourself before you could be expected to take care of anything else, right? So you're paying yourself first. You knew you needed, what would you say, 500 a week? Was it a month? 500 a month. That's crazy. <laughs> the whole thing was crazy. We, we even had a plan to go down to one car um, because we, we, at that time, we were living a mile from, from Cheever's Cafe. Yeah. Um, but Heather didn't pay, take a paycheck for three years. Wow. Yeah. So I think the other thing, too, is like you didn't just quit your day job. Like you swung into it. You guys, I think, had them, you know, the, the wherewithal to know that you're going to need some type of security. Yeah, we, we didn't think about that. What was, okay, what was your perspective? 
we we were we didn't plan anything. <laughs> we just knew we had to make it work. Okay. Yeah. So, so much credit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one day I went over there for lunch, and at, then the, the the at that that day. The chef quit. His brother was in the oh, kitchen. Man. He quit with her. He walked out with her, and his girlfriend walked out. So there were four people in the kitchen, and three of them walked out at lunch. So I went in for lunch, and Heather's like, these guys just left. And so I jumped back in the kitchen. That was my very first time working in that kitchen, and we made it work. So reflecting back, knowing what you know now, reflecting at that time, um, what, were, like, what were some of the, the things you would have done differently? What were some of the things you think you did right? Uh, really paint that picture for our listeners to kind of get an idea of what you've learned th- on this journey. Well, I think if I had to do it again, I think having um, excess capital, having just, uh, I don't know how, if I can say an endless amount of money. Um, a runway. Just Yeah, just a runway and know that the first year, first two years is just going to be um, negative. Yeah, so and are you saying you didn't have that capital? We did not have okay. that capital. That's where my the capital from... Yeah from me working, staying at Benny Keith every month, I kicked money back in and, and it just survived. We had to go back to my my parents for more money um, a couple times. And, you know, there was no questions asked. They supported us. Heather's mom supported us um, because they knew we weren't out spending money. They just knew that we were working hard and we had a passion for this business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying just because you have a passion for it, it's going to work. Yeah. But you have to be in the restaurant. A lot of people think that, you know, they, they dine out a lot and they see all these, these restaurants that are jam packed and people think restaurants just make tons of money. You know, the, the margins 5%, if you can get 5% as an independent, take it, Yeah, take it all day long. Um, don't settle for 5%. Don't but. settle for five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you, if, but if you're, you know, if you're, if you can get five, get five. Yeah. Um, but some of the, the advice that's come up on the show and you can tell me what you think about this. One is, it, you know, when you're developing that runway, it's, you have to, you know, you have to incorporate owner's pay, treat yourself like an employee and, and get enough for at least six months is what I usually hear. If not a year, because sometimes it takes about a year of, of, you know, trying to figure out what, what your brand is, what your traction is, what your unique selling proposition is, um, and, and work that into the loan that you get your, your runway to be able to be able to pay your employees for a year or at least six months, uh, and, and to work yourself into that equation so you can pay yourself. Is that unrealistic? Do you think? No, I think that's realistic. Um, we didn't have a plan when we first started, when I went, when we were first getting into business, we, so I would say my advice have that plan you just said. Yeah. yeah we, we had zero plan. Mm-hmm. We, we had a lot of luck on our side we have a, we built a lot of, uh, great relationships with some neighborhood people. Um, you know, we even got robbed oh, by, at gunpoint our, um, I think our, after about 18 months and the, the neighborhood, the heritage Hills neighbors that were in that restaurant when, when we got robbed, there were about six of them, they gathered, call that, you know, five or 10, of their friends in the neighborhood the next night. And it was jam packed. They just showed so much support. And so that's kind of what did it is we just nurtured every relationship that we could. And that that's what ended up, you know, putting achievers into a profitable space. So how long did it take? Well, first, when did you open your second restaurant? Was that 2002? The yeah. Iron Star? Yeah, so we had two restaurants losing money. Okay. So the first advice, never do that. <laughs> so yeah, like when did things, like what were, what were the evolutionary points early on, in your opinion, where things really started to change for you? 
I think, um, so, so running one restaurant was really, really hard and you had one that wasn't making money consistently. Then you had two that, you know, losing money most of the, most of the time, but you know, it was really about, uh, about two years after Iron Star. So Cheevers would be four years old and, and Iron Star would be two is really when things started to click and, and both restaurants were making money. And, but we were still working. I mean, I'd worked a day shift at Cheevers and a night at Iron Star. It would be, you know, five, six, seven days a week doing that. But our staff saw the, the dedication and the drive that we had, and they wanted to just fall in line. Yeah. And you, people, nobody will ever work harder for you than yourself. And, right. And you can't, ex- you have to set that expectation. You can't just bark orders. You got to, you know, like lead by example, which clearly sounds like you were doing. Right, right. We, we've never been one to bark orders. And even today, we, we're not one to go in the restaurant and have lunch or, or just spend a little time there and just say, hey, you need to do this, 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 this. Um, we know the, the right channels, you know, of, to, to voice our opinion. And it's just a new set of eyes. And everybody respects that, that, hey, a new set of eyes is always good for your restaurant. Because if I sent you into another restaurant and wanted to, some feedback, you'd, you'd have you know, tons of it. Mm, yeah. You, you mentioned earlier that you're putting a lot of energy into just relationships and treating people right. Can you kind of get more specific and give us an example of like what that would look like? Well, a, a really easy example is all of our vendors that come in. We, we always offer them something to drink. Mm-hmm. I mean, just simple like that. Even, you know, I think especially being from that world, like yeah, you know the even power. the Postmates guys, yeah. you know, <laughs> who everybody has complained about third party <laughs> right. delivery guys, you know, we'll offer them something to drink. Um, so it's just that little stuff. We we don't take advantage of, of say deliveries and just attention that they're giving us. We we're thankful for that. Um, we don't. I don't know. We don't ask for for something we don't think we deserve. Um, we I, just we treat them like we want to be treated. I was a little curious about that because you must have had a really great relationships with your purveyors because that's the world you came from. Were you getting like? great deals was that part of it um no i never have asked them for a great deal i've asked them for if is there another am i getting the same deal that someone else that's of my volume of our purchasing power is getting and they'll tell me yes or no and they'll say but you need to be getting that deal you're right yeah but you must be like a great purchaser like just coming yeah we buy yeah, yeah yeah we buy we buy a ton i never had a a customer when I was with Benny Keith. I don't think Benny Keith had a customer when I was with the company that bought as much as we do. I think that's a, a lot, a big challenge for most first time restaurant tours is knowing and juggling the purchasing and knowing how to, how to work those relationships and knowing the value of certain things. Yeah. Back in, you know, in the early days, uh, in the nineties, even when I was with Benny Keith, a lot of, uh, rarely did anyone buy from one distributor. They think they can get a better price from splitting it up between, you know, the three main broadliners and it's, it's just a waste of time. You have to, if you, you need to build that relationship where you can trust them. If you're worried about price, just find someone you trust. Mm, I love that. So you said you, you opened your second restaurant. That was uh, t- 2002. That was the, the barbecue place, right? Right. Uh-huh. So and you said you weren't ready to have done that. What would you do? If you could do that over that, that jump from one to two, what would you have done differently? <laughs> Um, I would have put it off a few more years, but as I say that, you know, we opened it after nine 11 when the, the country was really banding together. Right. And so what's a one American food 
especially in this region, barbecue. Barbecue. Yeah. So we didn't we didn't sell the story like that, but in our minds and our hearts, Heather and I, um, that's why we wanted to do barbecue, and we wanted to do barbecue different. We I grew up going to, you know. Um, smokehouses and you know you go in and it's you it's the best barbecue you've ever had but you walk out and your clothes smell like barbecue for days <laughs> yeah. and i don't have anything against that right now i'm all for that but um we knew that that women really drove dining decisions and that's when we put salads on the menu and a full bar at a barbecue place in 2002 was just un- a little ahead of its time yeah. yeah way ahead of its time for oklahoma and texas mm-hmm. so um and then our number one seller was ribs our number two was that salad a salad. So, um, and it's still, if you go in today, it's probably 60% women. So what started to change in your business where you actually started to become profitable? Because it sounds like you were still at this point, you, you were doing a good job. You were developing a reputation. You were developing relationships. You're definitely growing. Like you, you were doing a lot of things right, but you still hadn't quite figured out the profitability part. Is that safe to say? Yeah, the, the profitability part. We, you know, we never really even took inventory. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it took us, I think the first three years, we really never took an accurate inventory. We were just, do we have enough money in the bank to make payroll? That was that was the goal. So what were the key decisions you were making with location one and two when you were at this point in your career? What were the key things you did that really started to like pivot your success or like, you know, like you started getting like leaps and bounds better and better? You know, I think uh, with the second one, um, after we were really close to call it a break even, is when um, I kind of stepped out of the kitchen and kind of took more of a of a view of thirty thousand foot view to say this is a um, a business a business of two restaurants that I need we need to run, and so for us to run it properly, um, I need to get out of the kitchen. How so, did you do that? Well, w- the same thing with relationships we had. Um, you know, four or five guys all related to Barrios family. And then, you know, we named a Mexican restaurant after their family. And they, we, one of them was the chef at Iron Star. And we had three of them that worked at Cheever's in the kitchen. Okay. Um, and a couple other guys. And I just, we just trusted them. And, you know, they knew they would take care of us in the kitchen. And so um, having two, it was really easy because at that time we officed at Iron Star. When I say office, we had a room, you know, a 10 by 10 room that we could pay bills at and, and kind of have meetings. But um, just doing more research and learning um, how to run a business instead of just running a restaurant. So getting out of the day-to-day monotony at least two to three days a week. Before you get into how you started working on your business and removing, like going from the working into working on – I'm curious how do how do you build trust? Because you, you're you're crediting trust you're, to be the, the reason why you're able to get out. So what does it take to build trust? Well, with the with the Hispanic employees, it was you need to get in there and work as hard as they do. Mm, that's and hard I, to do. Yeah, that's that's hard. <laughs> but they recognize it. Yeah. They recognize it real fast. Of any like even today when you, we hire someone new, I just say, hey, you need to get in there and dig in, and and you don't have to be fast; you just have to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And so they notice that fast, and um, and when you help them out and you take an interest in their families, mm. um, you know Juan Barrios, who's been with us for twenty years, um, you know we've 
my, Heather and I used to go to over to his house for his kids' birthday parties. His dad comes in from Guatemala. You know, we have him over at Cheevers for dinner. We just realized the importance of of strong people. Mm. So yeah. it's, you know, I could go on and on, but um, and that's just not them. It's just it's just that trust is. You build trust. To me, you build trust. It takes different strategies with different people. Yeah. There's a great book out there um, by the son of Stephen R. Covey. I can't remember his his initial. It's he he too is Stephen Covey. Uh, the Speed of Trust. Uh-huh. It's it's a great book. Okay. I recommend anybody out there who's listening to this to pick up that book. It's on audio. Um, so okay, so you you started work. So you were able to replace yourself. You were able to replace yourself with these people that you've developed trust with, and you knew they can handle it. Um, were you dependent on them, or were you dependent on systems at this time? Dependent on them. Okay. Yeah, our systems were really uh, lacking. Okay. Still, it took it took us bringing in uh, an executive chef that that I really re- respected and trusted to really bring in the systems of hey we're gonna we're gonna count we're gonna do inventory every every month or every week and and recipes are gonna be costed out and and I knew all these things I knew these need to be done but having the time to do that yeah when you just are you know, you have two or three people in the kitchen doing a hundred covers, which back then it was like, how do we even do this with three people? Yeah. Um, so it was a pro, you know, it was a priority thing. So just for, just do me a favor real quick and like zoom to 30,000 feet because okay. you're at two locations. One, like when did it just it kind of ramble off like the, the, the year and the, the locations that you've, you've developed since then just to, for me to get the big picture. Yeah. So, you know, after we, we started making money and our reputation was, you know, we were, people were seeing us as a, as good operators. Um, then we started to attract, then that's when you start getting the calls and the, the thing from real estate developers or people that own buildings and this and that. And so, um, we then opened red prime steak okay. and that was, um, 2007, I think. Okay. So seven years after Cheevers and, and this was a big project for us. This is the first time we're going to take on investors, um, so we, we knew we had, uh, we felt like we had it all together. Then our systems were good at that point. And we went out and hired to me, the best, um, general manager in the city, the best chef in the city. And at that point we got without going to, once we put out the word that we were hiring, our, our server staff were two. just picked the top 10 restaurants in the city. Two servers from every one of those restaurants came to work for us. Oh, wow which was a good thing then, but then you have all these egos, right? I was going to say, plus you have a lot of different, <laughs> like different habits, not necessarily bad habits, but just different ways to execute them. You know, there might, was it, was there a, a challenge in getting people to, to kind of do things the right, the same way? It was a challenge to get people to do things our way. Okay. Because um, they had, they had, they were instilled in them that, Hey, this is the way we've been doing things. And I work at this restaurant and they do, and they're successful. But, we don't want you to act that way. We want you to be courteous. We gotcha. want you to, to respect each other. Okay. And then, and correct me if I'm wrong. After that was a Republic gastro pub. Yeah. Republic gastro pub was after that. 2000. Um, uh, so it's 2010. Okay. And then from there we had Tucker's onion burgers, 2011. And you have three of those now, four of those, four of those. Okay. Right. Uh, see, there's just so much information online about what you guys have done. And then kitchen, uh, number three, two, four. Yeah. Kitchen three, two, four. That was, what year was that? Um, that was probably 2013. Okay. And then Drake seafood. 
Yeah, Drake was 2014 or 15. Okay. Probably 15. And then uh, Barrios? Yeah, Barrios was 2018. And is that the Barrios family that we're yeah, talking that's about? The that's family. beautiful. I love yeah. that. We'll get into that. And that was 18, you said? Uh huh. All right. And uh, the Mexican radio? Yeah, Mexican radio was a year and a half ago. Okay. All right. Cool. So I have the big picture. So, and I love. I don't. I love getting the dates because you can see that there's usually some type of like you know there's like a, it's flat. You go from one to two and it's still flat, and then you go from two to three. Then there's like okay, and then there's like two years between. Then like there's a year. You know, like there's like that. It's like that. Uh, what's that? The hockey stick curve. Right. You know, you start to really dial in your your your, your brands, your your systems. Uh, and, I, and it's kind of cool that, to see that evolution. Um, going back to 2002, between 2002 and 2007, you said this is, you, you realized you had to, you know, you had to kind of replace yourself with the people that you trust. So you could get out of the kitchen and start working on your business. Right. What were the first things you started to do to work on your business? Well, the first thing I did was, was hire a really experienced chef that I had a lot of respect for. And he helped us get all the systems in place. He was a, he was more of an, he was an IT guy yeah. as much as a chef. And so really digging into recipe development, costing recipes, um, effective scheduling, um, inventory control, things like that. And, and I brought him on for red prime steak, but red prime steak got delayed so long that, um, he came on two or three years before red opened. Okay. And so he really helped with Cheevers and iron star. So we had all these systems, down for those two when we opened up red. Okay. So recipe development, uh, scheduling and inventory control, huge, huge. What take us, give me an example of how big of an impact when, why, I think why we were, was scheduling one of the first things you had to focus on? Well, that's where all your money's spent. I mean, that's the majority of your money is spent on labor. Mm -hmm. And so, um, figuring out, um, not just how much everyone should make, but just a schedule of what's, what's going to make this person happy? What's what kind of schedule this person needs. But the first schedule we ever write in restaurants is a no name schedule. This is what we need to run the restaurant. And then you start plugging in names. John will work here because he does not want to work daytimes. So, okay. He's a night guy. Let's put him here. Or, you know, you just have to move those, those players pieces around until it works. Um, and it's all built on, on revenue. Um, we always overstaffed. We were just, and we still do that. And, and sometimes I question myself of we're just overstaffed. Why aren't we doing that? Um, I will say right now we're not overstaffed just because of the labor yeah. market, but, um, it seems like it's, it's kind of the cart before the horse thing and it always works out for the better. Yeah. So this time, 2005, there's really not or in the, the two, between 2002 and 2007, there's not much technology out in way of labor management, maybe we're using hot schedules. Might no, be, no, maybe. I don't. I think we used, started using um, Schedule Fly. Okay, they um, were one of the first of the market. Yeah. yeah, I think we've been with them maybe ten years now. Okay, so 2011, we might have started that. Maybe, maybe seven or eight years now. And do you remember? Like, can you give me specific numbers and how implementing like a hard system like that impacted your bottom line? Um, well, it depends what, what concept, you know, with, with the Tucker's concept, we, we didn't use any type of, um, programming or software for that. Um, we just talked to other restaurant tours about that, how to, it's a different animal, quick service versus yeah. full service with the full service. I would say it's a couple points, um, immediately using schedule fly. Okay. Um, anything worth unpackaging there before we move on to inventory management or inventory control? Um, 
I don't think so. Okay. So um, inventory control. What did the chef, like where were you before the chef and where were you after the chef? What did he teach you? Um, well, to... Or she. I don't know. Yeah, he. Okay. he um, and, and I knew all these things, like I said, but it, I just couldn't get to them. It was, there was just too much to do. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's a problem with a lot of um, oh, yeah. restaurant people right now or, or entrepreneurs in general. You know, you can't do everything. So when he came on, it was, it was, we're going to do, you know, I said, I want to do inventory twice a month. And he was like, no, we just need to do it once a month. And I said, no, twice a month. And so we did that and we could see immediately the amount of waste just from over ordering or buying, you know, call it mayonnaise in a five gallon bucket when we use mayonnaise for one sandwich, you know? So the, the more stuff you had on hand, it would just go in, it would, it would, it would spoil. It would walk out the back door. Um, a lot of things. So then we went to weekly inventories and once we went to weekly inventories, we put about five points to the bottom line just immediately. And we still, to this day, we do weekly. I was going to ask if you were doing, if you're still doing uh, uh, twice a month or weekly, and that's a game changer right there. How did, how did that affect the bottom line going from twice a month to weekly? Yeah. Five points. Wow. Yeah. Five points immediately. Um, you just, you just catch mistakes and there's inventory mistakes. Um, with the chef, if he leaves, you know, red prime and goes to work at uh, Barrios or whatever, there's always the way someone counts, you know? So now we have checkbacks with our culinary directors to count inventory with the chefs on a, you know, per quarter basis, just to make sure that it's all on the level. Yeah. And I just recorded a workshop with Rudy Mick. I don't know if that name is familiar no. to you. Mick Consulting uh, within the Restaurant Unstoppable Network that he he takes us through his weekly approach to inventory management. It's a very powerful workshop. If you guys are interested, let me know. I'll, I'll get you guys into the network. Um, okay. So what? So now opening your, your, your third location, 2007, uh, Red Prime Steak. Um, that's kind of a whole new you know fine dining steak, I'm assuming. Was it fine dining? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, what's fine dining anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we can go in there looking like this, but you know, yeah. 20 years ago, you need a, we had yeah. to keep a jacket at the door. But that must have been a whole new beast for you. That I mean, uh, Yeah, Achievers is already white tablecloth. Yeah. Um, but this check average that we were shooting for at, at Red Prime Steak was 85 or $80 a person. Um, and yeah, that was a different deal. And it was a different, it was a big restaurant. You know, um, we we're on the hook for 20,000 square feet there. And so it's, it was a little nerve wracking, but maybe I just wasn't educated enough to know that, that a $19,000 rent payment could really hurt it someday. But <laughs> you know, it did hurt when 2008 came around. Oh, I bet. You know, only a year after opening. Yeah. A year after opening. And it's like someone just put a chain on the door. So what were the big lessons there? Well, they, the biggest lesson I think we learned is we learned that we were able to pivot a lot faster than a lot of nationals. Um, we made some big moves. We immediately put out a pre-fee menu that was priced at about $39 and business came back. One thing we, we noticed then during that financial crisis was that everybody traded down. We could see people go that went to red a lot. Now they go to Cheevers, Cheevers customers. Now they go to Ironstar because those are, you know, three different check levels, check averages. So, um, and, and I'm still learning that lesson today to say, especially in today's world, is you don't need a lot of square footage. Let's just, let's see how many sales we can generate per foot 
and how many tables we can get in this thing. And, and so we did that with kitchen three, two, four is those, those tables are just tight. Okay. Really tight. And so that, what that does now that kills us with six foot distancing, right? Oh, I know, right? Jeez, that's true. <laughs> so we didn't plan for the pandemic with that one. <laughs> yes. But we, the point you're making is it's not just necessarily about the check average, but about the volume. Exactly. Yeah. And, but I mean, there is really cool, interesting things happening in the world right now, especially with our ability to be in more places digitally to increase the volume with whether it's delivery curbside. And I think it's more socially acceptable to be, to be focusing on those verticals. And I don't think that's going to go away. No, I don't think it's going away either. Yeah. It's no fun for, uh, for me at least. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the, of the curbside and the delivery, even though I use the delivery apps. And I order from my own restaurants just to see the experience, the experience. Yeah. Um, but that, that turned us upside down. I mean, uh, that that's hard uh, on, on everybody. I can imagine. And just, we used to hate it, hate it when we're in the kitchen on a Friday night and you get a, to, a to go order a filet. It's like, really? I don't want to, this is tough. I'm, I'm already struggling. I mean, this ticket machine is going crazy, but so now it's like at iron starts 50% of our businesses to go. Wow. So I'm curious now. So we started in 2000. By 2002, you had your second location. You said to yourself, whoa, we need to slow down. We're not quite ready. We need to work on our systems. I need to replace myself with trust in systems in a better team. It sounds like right around 2010, you, you start to really fine tune things because in 2010, you had Republic and then almost every a year to every two years after that, you open another restaurant. So what happened between... 2007 and like 2011 where you really, you know, you, you got, it seems like you got some, your shit together. Yeah. I, I don't know if I ever got my shit together. I think <laughs> I'm still trying to do that, but you know, that's when, I think that's about the time that, uh, Danny Meyer's book came out. Okay. And so after I read that, I was thinking, you know, this is exactly what I've thought before is you, there's several reasons to open a restaurant. And one of the main reasons is, for us, we have an idea. We have great, you know, our creativity is always flowing, but also it also creates opportunities for our current people. So now we can add an ex- this person can be an executive chef here and this person can be a general manager here. And this person can be, you know, a front yeah. of house lead or whatever that is. Um, and we just loved the growth of Oklahoma city. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a good point too. Around this time is when Oklahoma is really starting to pick up. Yeah, yeah, that's it's definitely it was really picking up. You know, the Oklahoma City Thunder came to town, and um, we were asked to do all the meals for the players. And so, as we're doing that, uh, several of the Oklahoma City Thunder owners were like, "Hey, we got a building here, we got a building here," and it, you can tell from our locations that we're attracted to old buildings. It's all about those relationships, man. Yeah, right? every every single Reputation time. And relationships. Um, so I, I want to go back because you mentioned Danny Myers, his book came out and it's that mentality of, and a lot of people think that people will argue we're not in the food business. We're in the experience business. Well, I would argue that we're not in the experience business. We're in the farming of human business. People business. Yeah, exactly. Growing people business yeah. and creating opportunity for people business and learning as much about your people as possible business. And it sounds like that's what you started to realize is that it's about what can I do for these people that I have now? Cause if, if I don't give them opportunity, they're going to go find it somewhere else. So you, you started to be in the business of creating opportunity. Yeah, exactly. We, we noticed that, that we had, at that time, we had this team that we could have opened 10 restaurants and, and staffed 10 restaurants with some of the best people in the city. Um, of course, we didn't want to grow that fast um, 
because I, I've, I've seen from being in, around the business for so long that, you know, you open up too many restaurants, you have these three funding the first one and, you know, so on and so forth. And it just does not end up well, but that, that whole creating opportunities for people has been so much fun. Yeah. That, it's just that conversation with, you know, go visit, going to visit them and giving them this promotion and saying, Hey, this kitchen's yours or this restaurant. Yeah, what's yours. that conversation like? <clears throat> You know, lately it's like they expect it. They, oh. you know, they 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 just know that probably because we're we're constantly communicating with these people, and and they've asked. They said once when when am I you know when am I up for a GM role and this and that. So, but the excitement that the, on their face is just it's amazing. Awesome. I, I'm curious, what are your beliefs on scaling as far as when you're opening a new restaurant? Like, what are those partnership agreements look like with your team? You mean as far as. Um, Explain that a little bit. Like, are you, is, are you, do you believe in equity sharing? Do you believe in profit sharing? Like what is, what do you, what do you think is the right approach to scaling and creating opportunity for people? Well, right now we, we, uh, have a profit sharing with okay. the, with all the managers and okay. we're, we're transparent. They see the financials and we don't, we don't cut it off and say, we're going to pay you on this line. We, we pay them on the bottom, um, net income line. Okay. Um, so but they're also given a salary that always they've always got a, an increase in salary. So are you doing open book management with just your management team or throughout the entire organization? Just the management team. Okay. Yeah. And is it a is it like a percentage of profit that you're percentage like, of profit. Okay. What's what's a good percentage of profit that we should be trying to take off the top for our team? And, well, our deal is ten percent. Okay. So ten percent of the profit go to the management team. Got you. Um anything else worth unpackaging there that I'm not considering? Um, we really focus, that's, so that's on the financial side. So we really focus on how they can increase that profit, therefore increase their bonus. And it's, it's not as easy as it sounds to get them to understand that. What's the um, challenge? Just that um, them understanding which line items that they can control and what a big impact labor, food, and bar, cost of goods, you know, prime cost. If you can, if you can get the prime cost below 59, there is, there's so much money left over to, yeah. for you guys to, to share in. Um, so so what, what's the, what's the trick to getting it to 59 in your opinion? What are you teaching them? It, it all goes back to driving revenue and how you drive revenue and how you, the way we drive revenue is make sure every guest is having a great experience and not just a great experience. We go one step beyond. And one thing I think we do better than most is we, we turn a bad situation into a good situation. Mm, you got that from Danny's book too, didn't you? Right in the end of the story. I think I, I we were already doing that, <laughs> but he might've got that from us oh. if he's ever been here. <laughs> so give me an example of what you're talking about. Well, one example is when Twitter first came out. So restaurants are, everybody was on Twitter and even more people now, but that's what restaurants use because there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't Facebook. And so I was a big Twitter user and I would sit at home and just kind of troll our pages and see what's going on. And we had a guest that blasted us on Twitter and he's still at the restaurant. Oh man. And so I got on the phone, I called the manager, I said, Hey, this guy, I think he's, you know, 50, you know, 50 year old guy. Um, he's, he's at a four top and he just ordered a, sa a sampler. And so, uh, do you remember what the blast was? I think it was the worst barbecue I've oh, ever had. Geez. And, um, I can't believe something. It was, it was 
really bad. Yeah. Um, you know, don't come here. Don't, I'll never be back. And so we go over, we bought the whole table, um, paid for their entire tab. We apologized. We gave him all a $50 gift card. Wow. And he came back, retracted that. And we, he called the manager, uh, the next week and made him reservations for the same four top. And they came in and everything was perfect. Wow. I mean, that's, that right there is a perfect example of writing the end of the story, right? Like if things go wrong, like that's your cue to do whatever it takes to make it right. And that's your marketing expense right there, right? That's it. We don't, I, I don't hope things go wrong, but I, I look forward to the recovery. Yeah. Because, because that's where you can shine. That's, that's where, where you sh- yeah. Yeah. Go, every, go everybody is tr- doing their best, right? Everybody in the restaurant business is out there doing their best the entire time. But that recovery piece is just you can see the success um, when the guest comes back, when the guest reposts, or with all the review sites now. It's and it made it and it just filters throughout the whole organization. Yeah, and that's where you can show your level of giving f is, right is in making it right because that's where you true that that you can't fake giving an f like and, and what you're willing to do is is the, the meter by which you're judged right I, and you can win people over and like it, you can make the worst experience into the example you shared into the best possible experience because people yeah. care about how much you care well and a lot of these uh, you know reviews and when people get blasted everybody makes mistakes but when someone's writing a review they don't uh, they sometimes don't get that they mm. don't think that a restaurant should ever make a mistake but that's not our job to tell them that our job is to fix it and fix it now with, we always work on, um, make it right plus one. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if someone doesn't like, if the steak's overcooked twice, make it right, buy their dinner plus one, give them a gift card to, to cover their dent, to cover dinner for two. And so that's, to us, that's something that no one else is doing. Okay. Um, you mentioned earlier that you, you ended up going with a restaurant owner around 2003, 2004. Restaurantowner.com. Yeah, restaurantowner.com. Yeah. Um, what, were the biggest, what was the biggest impact that that website had on you? And I, I'm a huge advocate for restaurantowner.com, uh, so that's why I, I want to you know, give them a little love right now. Yeah, I think back then it was, the, uh, it was just all the tools um, and articles, the spreadsheets, the – I think there was, wasn't there a business plan thing on a seafood restaurant, I think? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. So just the financial side and the marketing side were, to me, at that point, the most important. Um, we used, I don't know, five or six. I mean, it was just, we just lived on that thing. I was just yeah. in that space. And then, I, luckily, I got to hear Jim Lab speak, Jim Lobb, at, uh, at a Benny Keith function, and it was pretty cool. Nice. And um, I will say right now, um, if you guys join Restaurant Unstoppable Network, Jim is a good friend of Restaurant, or Restaurant Unstoppable. And uh, if you join Restaurant Unstoppable Network, you get six months of free access uh, just as soon as you tune up into the network. That's his way of trying to support what I'm trying to do. And it's, I mean, that alone is enough reason, in my opinion, to get into the network. And uh if you're not in the network yet, come hang out with us. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so now I'm really curious. Since 2010, um, over the past 12, 11 years, how have you truly evolved? Because, I mean, a lot has changed in the industry in the past 10 years. It's almost a completely different. It's changed a lot. So how have you evolved to stay relevant over the past 10 years? Well, we continue to, to travel. We continue to do research um, daily. Um, continue to um, really refine our, our food, uh, decrease in our menu selections, and just uh, trying to find things we do well and keep doing that. Um, I think as far as the the group 
and how we've evolved is we have made it very, or Heather and I have made it very clear to the rest of our team that we're not out here trying to be the biggest restaurant company in Oklahoma city. Um, we want to be the best and we're going to make mistakes, but, um, and we're going to create opportunities when, when that comes about. But, you know, I get so many times, when are you going to open up restaurants in Fort Worth? When are you going to take every concept and go to Tulsa? I just don't have a desire to do that right now. Why not? Um, I just, we love what we do, and we think there's so much opportunity here in Oklahoma City, not just with new restaurants, but with our existing stores. And that, that probably changed about five years ago. Um, a big lesson we learned was, at one time, I think when we opened Barrios, we opened Barrios, a Rep- another Republic, which we have since closed, and a, a Tucker's location. We opened all three of those restaurants in 45 days Damn. just because of construction delays or lease negotiations or what have you. And that just hurt. It, it hurt our team. Um, we just learned that we don't need to do that anymore. We're not going to put more than one thing on the books at once. And we're going to shoot holes in every deal we this presented our way because we don't need to take that big risk anymore. Oh, I love that. Um, what about technology? How, how have you evolved on using or evolving with time and technology to further streamline system and process? Or are you not that much into technology? You know, I, I think I'm on, I'm on both sides of that deal. Um, I think there's, there's several software um, pieces out there that can help with, excuse me, inventory control and costing. And, but I think it's just bad information in bad information out. Um, I think what we have right now works on that side. As far as, um, online ordering, we've really, um, spent a lot of time, um, using our, during this pandemic to create an online ordering system or to get on board with one. And now we're working on really refining that and having the best online ordering system experience we can create for our guests. So, in your opinion, what is that experience? What is that that just ease, just ease of 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 using the the product, you know, from start to finish? Um, Could you take me through that user experience? Well, from, there, from there's like the, the technology standpoint of like what you've implemented. Yeah, so you've you've probably there's there's good and bad online ordering systems, and so we want to make something that's that's easy to read, that's you can operate from your phone, that you can save payment just everything that makes it so much easier for the end user. If we're out of an item, um, if someone orders, you know, a barbecue sandwich, Hey, we're out of that. They need to know right then. I don't want, have, I don't want the store having to call them and say we're yeah. out of something. So, so in- or integrating all of your platforms. So they're communicating. Exactly. And, you know, integrating with our POS system is a tough one. Um, everybody says all payroll companies say, and all third parties say they can integrate with Aloha or squirrel or whatever it is, but it just never works. A lot of times, so um, we're sticking with an Aloha online order system, and it's it's been great. We're on the the basic system right now, just to get us something during the pandemic. But there's we can upgrade two to three steps above that. We can put pictures on there. We can you know make it full color. We can um, there's just so many different things we can do with that, and so that's a that's important right now. I think what tools have integrated well with your Aloha system. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> no, I'm not happy. I don't think we're happy with anything. Would you change? Would you ever change? You we love at- Aloha. We have our IT guy is an old Aloha guy, oh, so okay. it just helps having. I mean, we're just we're as good with Aloha as anybody in town. So we've thought about switching, and and 
I think everybody's been hit up by toast. Yeah. You know, they just now just come out everywhere in the market, but um, we took a look at it and we just think Aloha is better for us. Okay. Interesting. Um, I, I mean, there's so many, I think there's so many great solutions out there right now. And I, I, I don't, I mean, toast gets recommended a ton, but that's not to say that Aloha isn't great. You know, it's right. a, it's a great platform. It's a very robust platform. Um, any other technology as far as like scheduling or labor management or like outside of the box type of technology that's had that you've implemented, maybe like Slack or communication tools that has helped communication or something like that? Um, you know, Microsoft 365 yeah. is something that our IT guy got us on a couple of years ago. And it, you know, we use, we communicate via teams, um, on just about everything. And so that, and I'm, I'm not very fluent in that, but it has, if we were to, if I used it like our team uses it, then I would, I would really love it, but they use it on just about everything. Yeah. And what is a, a Microsoft team? What is that? Microsoft 365. I guess it's a, <clears throat> it's a Microsoft platform, which handles email, calendar, um, meetings, tasks. It's an all-in-one, you know, situation that you can, you can, you never have to leave 365 in your organization. You can communicate text, everything through there. Beautiful. Um, is there anything we haven't discussed up to this point that you think you could provide, you know, exceptional light on, you know, something that you think that you bring a certain strength to the table that only we can get from you. That's worth talking about. (laughs) Um, you know, my, my deal is, is just relationships and, and people. And, you know, I think everyone's going to say with the restaurant in this, in this business is you need to be overcapitalized. Um, I think technology you can get in a, if you're, if you're, if your passion is hospitality and you're relying on hot, on technology, that's not going to help you. Mm. Um, it might save some time doing certain things, but getting inside the restaurant in the four walls and, and seeing what goes on is, is what's, is what's key. And, you know, I think all of us here with our leadership team, we just love what we do. Mm-hmm. So that's not hard for us to get in the restaurants and just and enjoy ourselves. What's one piece of advice you have on developing relationships? I think be curious. Just sit down and be curious, just like you are with these. I mean, you're you're pretty you're pretty curious. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's all you do, I think, is is talk to people. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, but yeah, just be curious, and it's not a, it's not always about um, how's your day at work today. It's hey, how's your how's your kid doing in football? How's your your husband? Um, how's your, how's his job going, or whatever that may be? Just taking a general interest um, and. You know, I read a book called uh, Peak, mm. Chip Conley. Yes. And I've read it twice, and I, I don't – it's, oh, it's, it's so good. It's awesome. It's a great book. Get and, into it. And so that's – I mean, there's so many – the whole Maslow thing is, is over my head, and so I need, I need to unpack that. But just the lessons I've learned from, hey, why don't you walk in the restaurant and find a star employee for the week and – Just get to know Just – just shake his hand, yeah. his or her, and just thank him for, hey, man, thank you for cutting that bag of onions before you left last night. That kind of stuff. It's yeah. just easy. It doesn't cost anything, <clears throat> and it goes a long way. Yeah, and what what uh, we're talking about, what Keith is referring to is uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is your most basic need is like food, shelter. Then beyond that, it's security. Am I safe? Do I feel secure? Am I getting a paycheck? Do I have health insurance? That kind of stuff. Then beyond that, it's do I belong? It, 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 like, am I seen? Right. Do, am I loved? Then beyond that, it's 
personal growth? Am I learning? Am I getting better? And then the peak is self-actualization, which is I found my purpose in life. And the whole idea of that book is you got to focus at the, the top of the pyramid. You don't focus on giving a paycheck and, and people like it's good. If you can offer health insurance, great, but that it takes more than that. Right. It, it takes being a human being and feeding into those higher needs, helping people grow, loving them and helping them find their purpose in life. And that's what happens when you when you talk to them, you ask them questions about them. And then when you start talking to them, you can find out what their interests are, find out what their passions are and you can help them find their purpose. Right. And, and, and it's, it's, it's an incredible book. I've, I've tried to get Chip on the show. I should probably try. Oh, it you have? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of that. I love that. I yeah. love that. Um, yeah, that that book is I don't know. Everybody needs to read that, but oh, you yeah. know what? I think I, I think it's that, on audio too. Yeah, and I've, that's where I've I've read it once and listened to it yeah. once. So, but I think there's such a small percentage of people out there that will grasp that. Yeah, because it's not it's not a traditional business book, but it's the business book of the future, in my opinion. Oh yeah, it's it's a must read. We'll link to that in the show notes. This is episode 779. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 779. We'll be sure to link to that. And um, I am curious on what your thoughts of the future are, What your, if you have any opinions about COVID-19. I feel like we're, the, the restaurant industry, um, a lot of people have things to say, but they're afraid to say what's truly on their mind because of public outlash. You know, like if, you right. know, do you, is there anything that you want to say or do you feel like it's not safe to talk about what you truly thinking, or what are you? No, thinking? no, yeah. I'm I'm completely open with my thoughts on COVID nineteen. I think it's a real deal. Um, our goal since um, April first or March fifteenth was to keep our our staff safe, uh, keep our guests safe, and we've we've been a lot more careful than most. We've never we've never gone close six foot tables. We've been that way since since June 2nd, Mm -hmm. we opened a month later than the state allowed us to open. Um, you know, we furloughed 400 people and during that 45 day furlough, we, we created a market here at our office where they could come by twice a week and just fill their bags up with produce and shelf stable items. And, um, you know, some, everybody appreciated that, but some didn't. And that made me realize that, you know, we don't do this to, to get accolades from them. We do this because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's been tough. It's this whole COVID fatigue thing is real. And I think people have made some bad decisions, um, including myself, probably COVID fatigue. What do you mean by that? It just wears on you. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't feel as exhausted as I used to, you know, during the summer I would go home and just be exhausted. And then I would try to recap a day and I couldn't even think about what, what, what did I even do that made me tired? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just emotional. Yeah. It's just emotional. So, um, we have our, we kind of have our own playbook and we have always aired on the side of safety first mm-hmm. and whether we get credit for that in the long run, because a lot of people have not done that. They're, they're putting dollar first and we're not doing that. We're after that long term, you know, marathon restaurant life. Do you think, um, I mean, Oklahoma is probably has one of the best deals out there as far as how the government is getting involved. Uh, you guys are still open. You're allowed to be open. Right. Do you think what, as far as like what needs to happen next, as far as what, what do restaurants need and how does the government need to, need to step up to, to support this industry? Like what needs to happen? Well, I think this uh, second round of PPP is a start. I do think that, uh, the restaurants act, needs to get a lot more consideration when, when Biden comes into office. Um, 
you know, we spend a lot of time out in California where we used to, and, um, we're out there in November in LA and Santa Monica area. And it's just a different, I mean, it's 30% of main street, Santa Monica shut down. It's crazy. Um, it's a ghost town. Yeah. It's a ghost town. Um, New York struck, you know, New Mexico, they have to have bigger, I mean, what, what's New York without all the, all the little mom and pop, you know, right. diners and bodegas. Yeah. It's, it's sad and they can't control that. And so, I don't know, people might criticize me for, for asking more for, from the government, but um, it's part of America's fabric. We need, we need these restaurants to survive. The restaurants here, um, the first round of PPP help, the second round will take us all the way to the end of this thing, I think. But the ones that need help should get it. Mm-hmm. The ones that don't need help because they've been open for so long at a hundred percent seating because we were Oklahoma was at a hundred percent seating starting May 1st all the way to November 1st. So, you know, restaurants in the suburbs where there's kind of a, not as much of a COVID concern were thriving. So I think the second round is way better than the first. Yeah. Do you know, when's the deadline on that? Do you know, uh, deadline as far as, is it just when, when they ran out of money? Um, I think it's when they run out of money, but they've, there's a lot more restrictions now. And, the the application or the application started Monday for first timers and it starts tomorrow for second timers. Yeah. I mean, I might actually even apply for PPP myself because I got hit really hard because my, my sponsors didn't have any cash flow. Yeah. So they just stopped. I wasn't, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this. I wasn't even able to pay my 2020 taxes because I I was expecting that, that round of sponsorship was going to go to, to getting right with my taxes and then it never came and I was like what am I going to do and there was 2020 where I started doing profit first where I was putting away 30% of everything that I was making for taxes but you know like I learned like a knucklehead you know that like you take time to learn these things right so you know yeah I'm, I'm really considering it myself and I yeah I mean yeah, I got to learn more about that personally hopefully I don't miss the wave <laughs> I'm out here no, trying to get you'll be fine um, cool. So one thing I, I try to ask all my guests that the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So what is one way you've transformed personally in the 21 years you've been in business as a restaurateur now? I think I've just learned more about myself. Um, as self-awareness. I've, yeah, self-awareness. I've worked on myself um, a lot in the last two or three years. And what that's done, it's just given me some clarity um, to think, what do we want our company to be like in the future? And so Heather and I have talked about that a lot. Do we want to make an exit at some point? And I don't, we don't know yet. All we, all we do know is we have a passion for this business and we're not after it for the big buck at the end. We're just after it to say, what's going to, what's Friday night going to look like? We can't wait to have a, a buzzing dining room, you know, on a Friday night. Yeah. A uh, great book out there on the, on the note of exit strategies, which is something we don't talk enough about on the show because the people that I interview are usually st- still in the game and right. I haven't thought about the exit, uh, Bo Burlingham's, uh, finish big. Okay. Great book. Um, any advice on exit strategies that like, what, like what have you learned in your, in your reflection on that? Um, well, so as far as exits go and building a company to provide that's attractive to someone that wants to purchase, um, that's not why we're doing it. We're not doing it just to build something that we can sell. Um, we're really confused right now because 
you know, is there a way to, to give back to our employees, the ones that want to stay and run this thing? Is it, can we figure out a way to sell it to them or, or whatever? But, you know, we're still young and we love what we do. So it's never too late to start thinking about that. No, no, we need, we need to start thinking about it, but I I will tell you, we're thinking more about an exit strategy than we thought about a business plan when we first started. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. All right. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to bust out a true speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by seven shifts. Seven shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs and effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, seven shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you already use and trust like toast, turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business. To get three months absolutely free, head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Get on it. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. Uh, mine is running. Running like running feet, running long distance from my head. <laughs> okay, yeah. Explain that. Um, that's just where I go to to think to to get stress out of my life and and kind of I'm just alone. It just feels yeah, good. It's yeah, it's meditation. It's time for you. It's yeah. important. Yeah, right. I love that. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Um, I'm pretty gullible. Mm. <laughs> How is that your biggest weakness? I just give, I give everybody the, the benefit of the doubt. It seems to be working pretty well for you so far. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Heather keeps me in line though. She goes, are you an idiot? What are you thinking? I go, you're probably right. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? Um, I asked them as far as an interview, if an, if an interview, I, one interview question I have is, of our restaurants, where would you eat? What would you order? And who would you bring with you? What are you looking for? Um, I'm just seeing what, if they, first of all, if they know anything about our restaurants. Yeah. And, you know, nine times out of 10, people say they're, um, and I say dead or alive, and they say um, their mother or grandmother Ooh. or father. And it's go, they go to Cheevers and get chicken fried steak. I like that. Um, and what, is there something that you're looking for in particular, like, like a, a good answer? No, there's not a bad answer except for, um, if they name the wrong restaurant, okay. like if they name one of Dixon's restaurants then they're out, Oh, <laughs> uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. I'm thinking like core values. Yeah. Core values. I would say be courteous, um, have compassion, be creative. Um, that's it. I love it. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So that, something that's common within the four walls of your restaurants, but be g- not common for the rest of the industry. Well, our mission statement is extreme hospitality. So that's just hospitality with a little love on top of it. So right. if you come to a fork in the road, if you know, with your, when you're dealing with a guest and you say the hospitable thing here is to, um, I don't know, um, give John a gin and tonic because that's what he always orders. But the next step is to 
take care of his his guest as well. Mm. And so, or it could be someone left their to-go box. Instead of having them come get it, let's find someone to take it to them. I love that. Yeah. Uh, exceed expectation. Yeah. Right? Um, what is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? You already said Setting the Table. And you already said Chip Connolly's Peak. Uh, what else? You know, I'm going to say uh, A Curious Mind by Brian Grazer. What was the biggest lesson from that book? Just be curious. Don't don't be afraid to to pick up the phone and and or email, you know, Danny Meyer and say, "Hey, I'm in town. What, what can I buy you a cup of coffee? I'm just curious to see what you're up. See, you the know, the worst thing that's going to happen is nothing. That's, yeah, I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah, you're going to say exactly. no. Yeah. Um, and all those books, I'm pretty sure, are on Audible. Uh, head over to audibletrial.com/unstoppable. You get your first book on me. Um, and you're supporting the show when you use that link. So thank you very much. And I, I got to ask, how much of a game changer has audiobooks been for you in your life? Cause oh, my. It's, a, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I'm a, I'm a very slow reader, but as much as I love to go for, you know, two-hour walks and um, drives, I think I've knocked out 20 books last this past year. Yeah, it's it's the most efficient way to, to grow yourself. In my right. opinion. If you're in a car, you're going for a walk, you're at the gym, that's all time that you can be feeding yourself. Like your feed your, we're, we're, like we're all about eating well right now and eating healthy right now, right? But your mind is the same. You need to feed your mind positive, good stuff. And um, I think it's the same. I think it's, I mean, I always thought that reading a book was better for your your mind, but I, I don't think, I think what I've read, it's, it's, I think it depends on the listening person. is the same. Yeah. For me, I'm yeah, probably audible, the person, right? Yeah. I'm an, I'm an auditory learner. Like I have to hear it. You right. Know? Um, and I'm like, you, I'm not the, I'm not the fastest reader either. So like audiobooks, I think a lot of people in this industry usually aren't the fastest readers. A lot of, you know, we're, we're a lot of us had learning disabilities growing right, up, which right. is why we're in this industry, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a game changer. It absolutely is. Uh, what's one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Um, connect with her people. Mm. What is one service you've outsourced? So when I say this, this isn't the technology, but this is uh, a group of people who do something better than you. So you hire them to do it. Secret shoppers. Who do you use? We, uh, God, what's the name of that company? We haven't used them since the pandemic, but, uh, is it, uh, up close? Golly, I can't remember. Get back to me on that one. I will. We'll have it in the show notes. Again, this is episode 779, but those are game changers, those secret secret shoppers for sure. Uh, what is one technology you've outsourced? We already talked a little bit about, about technology, but what's, what's one tool that's had a huge impact on your operation that you would like to share with the rest of the world? Um, mm. You know, ScheduleFly has been great, and Will, who owns ScheduleFly, yep. has become a good friend. And um, Will Browley, yeah, he's just a gr- he's just a good dude. So I would say I would say ScheduleFly, not for the as much for the schedules. That's great, but it's just a communication tool as yep. well yep. for the entire staff. Shift leads, uh, yeah, management communication stuff right. like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and this is the last question. I get a lot of eye rolls. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, number one, take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, number two, um, you know, live your life with uh, – Truth and honesty. Okay. Um, Number three. 
Number three, take care of others. I love it, man. This has been a great conversation. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. Uh, you're a multi-person call out. Uh, so who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? All right, I got two. Is that okay? Yes. Okay, you I give got me three if you want. I got one. I got one in Tulsa, Elliot Nelson. Okay, um, good friend of mine, and another one is uh, Rich Hicks. Okay, in Dallas, a college buddy who's been in the business. You know, started with Brinker, now has several concepts in Dallas. Rich Hicks yeah. and Elliot Nelson. Look, I'm coming after you guys, and I'm actually talking to Elliot Nelson tomorrow. So I'm going to make that happen for you. All right, let's do it. Uh, and I just cannot say thank you enough. Uh, what's the best way for us to connect with you if we've really resonated with your story today and we want to come join your team? Um, Instagram is rkeithpaul and uh, email anytime uh, rkpaul at goodeggdining.com. Beautiful. And I just cannot thank you enough. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, man. We'll Appreciate it. it. Cheers. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Keith Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. So much great advice came from today's chat. I love this emphasis on people. I love this emphasis on slow and steady, playing the long game and developing your people and learning about your people. And I love this idea of curiosity and having curiosity with your people. And, and that, that's just such great advice on how to, to learn more about your people. Just be curious, just, just care and, and be curious and pull back the layers on your people. Uh, they will stick with you so much longer when you take an interest in them and you're curious about them. Great advice. And also some really great advice about um, focusing on the customer experience in uh, taking, if you take care of your people, they will take, care of your customers. We actually have Jill Raff, uh, who was a past guest on the show, who's one of my experts within Restaurant Unstoppable Network, who's a, a customer service expert. She's actually launching her, her course within the network this week, all on staff development and how that equals customer experience. And that will be what drives revenue in your business. And, and we had Keith talking about this in today's episode, how that customer experience is really what drives revenue. And that's what will let you do things like profit sharing, having that excess profit. And that's what will really keep your people along or around long term. So awesome stuff. Um, also within the network, I'm going to be collaborating with Rudy Mick on everything you need to know about um, costing that you, you the, the costing secrets that nobody taught you. That's going to be a live course. Uh, within a couple of weeks, we're going to be popping that off. It's going to be basically we're going to be recording these these courses live and then um, you can purchase them for, you know, in the future if you weren't able to join us live. But if you are interested, and joining us live for that course, uh, then make sure you sign up for the network. I'll have a link in the show notes. And we also have another live course about to pop off with Scott Landers, all on creating native delivery and getting the most out of your native delivery in your restaurant. So if these sound interesting to you, make sure you get into the network, you pre-register for these courses uh, so you don't miss those live events. And then also in the network this week, we have some shop talks coming. If you guys enjoyed the conversation with Jeff Dixon, he's joining us live uh, today as this episode goes live, 10 a.m. So hopefully you guys are listening to this episode early. And then we have uh, Rachel Cope joining us later in the week on Thursday on the 18th for a shop talk. And then Keith Paul, today's guest, will be joining us live in the network on February 23rd. So if you want to be a part of these conversations, if you want to meet my guest face-to-face and, and ask the questions you, you wish you could that I didn't get out in today's episode, that's how you do it. You join the network. Head over to the show notes, restaurantunstoppable.com slash 779. I'll have a link in the show notes for you to get over into the network and to be a part of these conversations and to be a part of these courses. And this is the future of Restaurant Unstoppable. 
I hope you're as excited as I am. Let's do this. All right. Until next time, peace out.